Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the GAR. My name is Lee Costello and I'm delighted to say that we've got Enda McNulty in studio with us to chat all things football, sports psychology and everything else. And joined now with Niall McIntyre because we've got to get straight into the hurling. It was a crazy, crazy weekend. People said the Leinster Championship was dead, Niall. No chance of it. Not a chance of it, Lee. Uh, I'm delighted we're starting with the hurling today. I think the, the hurling overshadowed the football. It's not always it does, but uh, this weekend... Uh, magic weekend, crazy stuff in 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 Munster and Leinster. Um, all it was just wild, a wild day of 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 hurling stuff. Wexford bouncing back, Limerick, they're still there. The Green Giants, as Jackie Hurley called them on the Sunday game, they're still there. They're still standing. Cork are gone. That one down to a point. Tipperary were nearly out of the championship at one stage. Drawn if a draw would have knocked them out. So. Uh, unbelievable stuff and yeah the the Leinster Championship sure where do you start the goal or the court game Kilkenny Wexford wherever you want Lee oh, we'll start with Wexford beating Kilkenny you know the backs against the wall 7 points down at one stage 7 points down early on and Wexford having been 17 points up last week against Westmead to lose that game was a disaster an absolute disaster for Wexford knocked them out of the well qualifying for the Leinster champ- for the Leinster getting through with the All-Ireland preliminary quarterfinal as well and even worse still, they could have been knocked down to the Joe McDonough Cup, which for Le- it was unthinkable before this year for, for Wexford. And it f- five minutes in, seven points down, it looks like that's where they're going. Um, Kilkenny, you know, a team on a bit of form. The only saving grace, I suppose, Wexford had was that Kilkenny didn't have Anton really riding on the game. You know, Kilkenny were already through to the Leinster final. They were looking good. So... Um, oh, just huge, huge well done to, to Wexford because they were under savage, savage pressure um, on Sunday. Backs against the wall big time and, you know, they pulled it out of the bag. So uh, tremendous stuff. Uh, Lee Chin, seen some of the highlights last night in the Sunday game, just brushed through it. Lee Chin, unbelievable. 
Kevin Nolan, Kevin Foley's flick to Liam McGovern for the goal. Liam McGovern, an absolute warrior of man, 30. I'm not sure what age he is now, but he's still there, still going strong. And, uh, do you know, it, it looked like disaster for Wexford, but they have a number on Kilkenny. And, and, and they've done Kilkenny so many times the last few years, they did them again. So, uh it was the mad scene of celebration. It was listening to the Wexford radio commentary while the tip match was on. It was like they'd won the All-Ireland. All they'd done was they haven't qualified for anything. They'd just <laughs> saved themselves. But uh, it just shows how, how a season can take off one way or the other. It took off the wrong way for Wexford, but uh, they saved themselves. Yeah, they definitely did. And it was sort of like a weekend of comebacks. And Galway were 12 points down at one stage. Yeah. I mean, what a game that was. Yeah, uh, Dublin... Had a brilliant first half. Dublin will be absolutely devastated that they didn't win this game. Um, I know they battled back to got to, to get the draw, but as it turned out, they might as well have lost because um, they're not through to the Leinster final anyway and they were going to qualify. So um, very disappointing for Dublin to be that far up, to be playing so well. They got two lucky goals. TJ Brennan um, was a fall for one, hit it across to Danny Sutcliffe. And the other one, Aina Murphy, was uh, uh, very much a fall for that. So Dublin got the breaks. They were hurling well. Keno Sullivan on fire. Danny Sutcliffe catching puckers with his right hand, which he does uh, more than anyone. And they were going well. And just, it's the second half. I think they got six points com- after getting 216 in the first half. Like, you know, it completely went out of the game. They'd be devastated at that. Couldn't win their own puckouts. Um, so very disappointing for them in the end. And Henry Shefflin, I think he has more, he'll be scratching his head. Yeah. Um, one thing we really got to talk about is Davy Fitz. So now we always talk about him. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. This one's just kind of unusual. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll go, we'll go with that. Yeah, Davy could come out with, with anything, really. Anything, anything can happen when, when that man's on the line. Always entertaining. And uh, it was, again, there's not too many, uh, I don't know, has it ever been done before? Uh, a, per- a player who's played in goals all year. He he's the goalie. He's been in goals for the league. He's in goals for the championship. Uh, I know they had a few injuries, Jamie Barron and Austin Lee. So maybe that forced his hand a small bit. But Davy uh, came up with the idea anyway to bring Billy Nolan out the field as a sweeper, and it turned out to be a tactical masterstroke. Uh, Billy Billy Nolan was he was one of the main men in 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 the game. Cleaned up, and uh, Davy got a six point win. So. Uh, yeah, he came out firing in, in his in his post match interview as well as you would expect. Um, Davy, yeah, he's uh, he's <laughs> he's always entertaining. Oh, I find him very entertaining. In fairness, uh, obviously the big game to talk about was Cork v Limerick. Like everything was on the line here, and it felt at times that like Cork were actually going to do it, but just fell short in the end. Yeah, I suppose when when you can see three goals against Limerick, it's never. It's not. It you're never. It's you're really going to struggle to beat them when you can see three goals, um, as Cork did. And look, I know they 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 battled back and Patrick Horgan unbelievable again. One fourteen he scored, mm-hmm. um, the tie score in championship history that pushed him a bit clearer. TJ Reid, yeah. TJ will have time to catch him now with Cork out of the championship. So disappointing for Cork. Um, Look, they they put up a good fight, and it's two weeks in a row now that they've lost by a point. So um, devastating, and they will they look a small bit to, you know, they will feel a little bit aggrieved about that penalty on Galan one and Sean O'Donoghue. They seem to be two of them at it. Um, I'd be a small bit critical of. 
Patrick Collins there that he didn't come and claim that ball and just so Sean O'Donoghue wouldn't have had to have held Aaron Galan at, at that situation but look at small margins Limerick was their best performance of the year um, they looked back to themselves Garrod Hegarty backed himself three points from play um, do you know they're they're purring now they're into a Munster final Clare will have to beat them twice in the space of what a month and a half mm-hmm. to win the Munster Championship so uh, difficult for Clare um, but what a day what a day in the Gaelic grounds the sun shining the stands full of people absolutely brimming I'd say there wasn't a seat in the house and uh, do you know uh, an unbelievable unbelievable day of hurling um, on, in both Munster and Leinster so um, great stuff and then back to Saturday as well with Carlo winning the, the Joe McDonough Cup in a, a, an amazing game um, do you know they, they were well clear and awfully the man sent off and Carlo, you're thinking Marty Cavanagh slots that penalty. You're thinking Carlo are home and hose here. To be fair to Offaly, they battled back and they didn't give up and they stayed in it. But Carlo just had the forwards and Chris Nolan, he scored um, four points, including an unbelievable uh, winner in extra time to to bring it back to Carlo. Unbelievable scenes in Carlo. Um, and we're talking to Marty Cavanagh later on in the show as well. So mm-hmm. I, I caught up with him uh throughout the, their, their celebrations today in St Mullins so I was delighted to get a chat with him uh, as well so that'll be on later in the show Yeah and before we get to that interview with Marty uh, we've got Enda McNulty in studio to help us get through all of the weekend's action in terms of Gaelic football thanks now for helping us round up the hurling and now for the football A proper Armagh legend a former All-Star All-Ireland winning uh, with that famous team in 2002 businessman entrepreneur an author, Enda McNulty. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. It's a hell of a day out there, so I'm in great mood. I know you boys are rocking it, so it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're, we're just delighted to have you. And, and, you know, we can't really get stuck into the football without having a guest like you and, and talking about all of your sort of adventures at the minute. You know, you're, you have your finger in every pie, but you've just released a new book. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, thanks for, uh, for bringing it up, Lee. i tell you why we're very proud to bring it up early and often is all proceeds so far have went to goal, the charity, uh, so the goal are in making an impact at the moment, believe it or not, on 180 million people's lives around the world. In the last few weeks, of course, they're getting a lot of funds into Syria and Turkey at this incredibly difficult time. So we're very proud that every single euro of that's went to gold so far. The book's about leadership. And I guess we're talking about Gaelic Games. One of the things I think is underrated is leadership. Mm-hmm. If you're going to win the All-Ireland in Camogie, ladies football, football or hurling, you're going to need to make sure you've got a leader in every line of the pitch. The great Armagh team had that. As you know, the great Tyrone teams had that, whether it was a Peter Canavan, whether it was a Brian Dewhurst, the Cormor McAnallan, God rest them. Uh, all the great teams have great leaders. And uh, now, obviously, the great Tipperary teams had Nicky English, you know, the Declan Ryans, the Tommy Duns. If you're going to win anything at any level, you need leaders. Munster had a big win at the weekend. They've got leaders now, the four or five emerging leaders and the old dogs of war. The Keith Earls, the Peter Mahanis and co. Uh, so the book's about leadership. It's broken down into a number of sections, primarily about leading self first, because I think sometimes we forget that all leadership begins with leading yourself. What's your own mindset like? What's your own belief like? What's your own discipline and dedication like? What's your own sense of purpose in life like? And if we get that right, then we're in a position to lead a team, whether that's in Camogie or perhaps that's leading a global organization in hyper-growth mode. So I've spent my whole life being 
surrounded by leaders, learning from leaders, reading about leaders, maybe playing alongside some amazing leaders. So we decided after 25 years of being in that, let's say, performance crucible to write about leaders and inspire the next generation leaders to step up and believe in themselves more. Yeah. I mean, who do you think the leader of the GAR is? Is it me or you? There's no question about it, Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it up to the listeners. Um, so anyone listening to this podcast will know you primarily as our former RMA star, All-Ireland winner, All-Star and all the rest of it. But you're also a sports psychologist and a, a performance coach. Uh, I, th- I suppose your big break maybe st- in that environment started with the, the Leinster rugby team. You were still playing with RMA at the time? Still playing with RMA whenever I was involved with Leinster. I'll never forget because in my first meeting with Michael Trecker, I was hoping to hell the meeting would finish early, so get in the road to go to our match training. Uh, but Cheka, the, the nature of his meetings, they tended to be long meetings or not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up being a two and a half hour meeting in Ranla, and I was looking at my watch, sort of going, I, I'm in trouble here. Yeah. So eventually I got out of Dublin, I think at five to six, put the foot down and got to Armagh just about a minute within training time. So I was still playing with Armagh, very lucky. Uh, and that was brilliant because you could relate to the players. Mm-hmm. At that stage, Armagh weren't playing me a lot, so we could relate to the players who weren't getting started. It's hard to believe at that stage, Johnny Sexton was the number three ten for Leinster. That was, he was the third choice. Philippe Condepony was one. A guy called Chris, I uh, should remember Chris's second Chris Whitaker. Chris Whitaker was number two, thank you, Niall. And Sexton was three. Uh, so very fortunate to have had a lot of amazing learnings, Lee, along the way from Leinster. No, absolutely. And uh, even just working with Johnny Saxon there and that sort of how he evolved from three to two to one. Well, he probably just jumped straight to one. I mean, so was he coming to you, you know, maybe struggling? How do, how do I move up this ladder and psychologically? How do I get uh, or what advantages can I gain, you know, from, from the likes of yourself? So uh, uh, the initial introduction to him was actually in Samaria's Rugby Club. I was playing with Arma. Arma were rocking at the stage. And somebody in Samaria's Rugby Club reached out to me, a guy called Stephen Hennessy. He was the coach of Samaria's. And he said, and uh, we're going to be relegated. Is any way you come into the change room and give us a bit of a support along the way in terms of mental toughness and confidence? So I did. And the night I went in, it was a wet, cold, I think February night, maybe a March night. And about 90% of the room were sort of disinterested. Uh, 5% of the room were sort of, I'd say, half interested. But there was one person in the room who sat up really tall, almost catching on every single word that I said. After that session, the boys were out on the pitch, and I could see in the pitch session there was somebody incredibly focused, incredibly diligent in everything he was doing. Of course, I asked afterwards, what's the name of that young guy who stood out in that session? And they said, Johnny Sexton. Mm-hmm. So it was even before getting involved with Leinster, I met Johnny and with Samiris. He was always curious. He was always humble. He was always hungry <coughs> to learn. Uh, and then obviously with Ireland, with Leinster, and then with the Lions, he became a world-class superstar. Of all the players you come across, like is, and in various different sports, whether it's hurling, rugby, like is Johnny Sexton, does he just stand out as, you know, is this guy a bit of a freak mentally? Because that's the way it seems from the outside looking in, that just his will to win, his, you know, the, he nearly has to win or he's... Do you know, he's, he, he's raging. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see him as a freak, Niall, to be honest with you. Paul McGrain, my Armagh teammate, is an incredibly mentally tough player and a leader. Kieran McGinney, Justin McNulty, Jim Marsden, Bumpy O'Hagan, Paddy McKeever, Oshin McConville, like, uh, Stephen McDonald. I can name a whole host of them in Armagh with a similar mentality. 
Paul O'Connell, having worked with him when he was in Ireland, incredible mentality. Ronan O'Gara, in my first year with Ireland rugby, Ronan O'Gara was one of the players under Declan Kidney. So O'Gara and O'Driscoll, I remember watching them one time in France. We were playing against France in France and the two boys were playing a table tennis game before the match. And we're talking about mentality. I remember looking at that going, I just could not believe the intensity of competition. And it's maybe two and a half hours pre-match. So Sexton and O'Gara and O'Driscoll and O'Connell, Donoco Callaghan, Kieran McGinney, Paul McGrain, Katie Taylor. Uh, obviously, we'd have to think about the amazing jockeys in Ireland at the moment, male and female. To be honest with you, they're all like that. You're not going to become an elite athlete unless your mentality is exceptionally good. You just don't get there. And if you do get there, you don't stay there. Mm-hmm. So whether that's Premier League, whether that's NBA, NFL, Gaelic Games, doesn't matter. You're not going to, the research is very clear, you're not going to become elite of elite unless your mentality is elite. And you won't stay there, certainly, unless your mentality is also elite. Mm-hmm. So I suppose just different nuances to the characters as well, whether it's Sex and Katie Taylor, similar on, on the overall scale, I'd say, but maybe different bits in the personality is what you'd notice too. Yes, exactly. I would say a lot of actually commonalities. The, the best performers in all sports and all walks of life, I would argue, the research is very clear also on this. They've got an amazing amount of, let's say, 15, 20 years of deliberate focus practice. Sometimes we forget about that. We talk about what they're like on match day. I'm more interested in what they're like, not on match day, but on training day. What are they like in January in their training? What, what are they doing in their skills preparation in February, March, April? That's when you really build champions. What are they like at 16 years of age on their own when they got the ball down to the local pitch? So there's a huge amount of commonalities amongst the best performers. So, for example, their deliberate practice early in life. For example, do they have a brilliant coach or a mentor? A Mickey Hart, if it's Tyrone in Tipperary, a Tommy Dunn. Or maybe if it's in, let's say, in, in women's sport. Now, look at the ladies in terms of going to play Aussie rules. I think it's amazing. Do they have a role model? to have somebody early in life who shows them how to run properly. So I think there's a lot of those things are very important long before they ever get to wear a Dublin jersey or long before they ever get to wear an Ireland jersey. Yeah, they're shaped by the time they get there. Exactly. Of time, yeah. that's, that's the making or breaking phase. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I remember being the coaching director in Ballyboden St. Enders and they said to me, and we want to win the FELA competition at 14 years of age. And I know in the last uh, week or so it's become cool to talk about go games and so on. I think long before go games is the making or breaking phase. What are we doing with kids at age six, seven, eight, nine, ten? That's the making or breaking. Because if you've got somebody who's got brilliant skills, brilliant attitude, brilliant physical literacy, as they call it, Perhaps they've got great lifestyle, they've got great parents and great coaches. They're easy to coach. Mm. You can coach them all day long. But if they haven't developed good agility, balance, coordination and speed, if they're poor mentality, if they've had bad coaches all their life, if they're bad attitude, well, then it's going to be very hard to di- and difficult to coach that person. Mm. No, absolutely. And then, well, I mean, you were coached by one of the very best in, in, at our MA team. And in fact, I actually, I actually interviewed... Hugh Campbell a few years ago, I think it was back in 2016. He wasn't a sports psychologist in your team, but he had like a, was it like a performance coach sort of role? But he definitely took on, he loved that sort of psychological aspects of thing. I was interviewing him at the time, Muhammad Ali had just passed away. So the story had sort of broke out about you guys got the letter from Muhammad Ali before the 2002 final. He was the guy that sort of orchestrated that, so I got in touch with him. And just everything he talked about you guys were like trailblazers nearly, you know, like you were the first, our team was like the first to get like the tight jerseys. You, you bought into sort of the strength and conditioning before a lot of counties bought into that. Uh, you were, had that mantra of the 
any given Sunday speech, you know, the inches, you know, like, is this where you, did you get a lot of inspiration from you and, and from that sort of environment? And really, did you add to it? Like, what, what was that like? Gonna, I thought you were going to uh, slag me for the tight jerseys, Lee. No, no. Uh, <laughs> so, so going back to Hugh, I have a huge amount of time with Hugh Campbell. It was actually in Jordanstown that I met Hugh Campbell. It was 2001, and I tried to get Hugh involved with Armagh at that stage. I introduced him to our two coaches in 01, Brian McAlean and Brian Canavan. It took us another year or so to get him in under Joe Kiernan. Uh, jo- so Hugh was a phenomenal guy and still is involved with Armagh to this day. He's had a big positive impact on the culture, on the leaders, on the mental toughness of the squad. Couldn't speak highly enough of him. I wouldn't be arrogant enough, Lee, to say we were trailblazers, to be honest. If I look at the great Curie team of the 70s and the Dublin team of the 70s, who the hell is Armagh to claim that we were trailblazers over that team? Or the 60s, the great down teams of the 60s. I still go back and see some of the footage of those games. So I think the down team of the 60s were trailblazers. We'd certainly have to say that the Curie team of the 70s and 80s uh, were trailblazers. That amazing, like when I look at Jack O'Shea and see him going box to box, he's one of my favourite players of all time. I can never think about Gaelic games and not think about the great Brian Mullins, uh, who tragically passed away last year. Like What those guys achieved was phenomenal. No, we weren't trailblazers. We were lucky. We won one in Ireland. A lot of teams have won five or six or seven. So I'm very humble about saying who was and who wasn't trailblazers. No, absolutely. And any, even, but even on the, because I'm, I'm conscious now I said about the any given Sunday speech, but I think maybe a younger generation of people and uh, any of our younger listeners won't actually know what that is. It was sort of done to death, you know, <laughs> by the end of the, the later uh, noughties. I remember being in an under-16 team and our manager putting it on YouTube and we all sat and watched it and then went out and played a football match, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like as if it was somehow irrelevant. I forgot about it after two minutes, but uh, you guys did use it as a mantra. Like you explained what, how did it first come about and it was this whole battle of inches? I think it was mentality again. It was, okay, how do you achieve something big in life? You break it down. Yeah. How, how do you, you know, win the marathon? You break it down into 10 meter strides or whatever it is. So it was Hugh Campbell and Des Jennings at that stage thinking about, let's, let's not hype up this All-Ireland. Let's break it right down. It, it's really every tackle. It's every block. It's every play that you go on. And I think inches worked really well for us that year. I think a team using that inch of speech but not knowing the context would actually make it a bit of a laughing stock. Mm. We know that in the last week that La Rochelle and Ronan O'Gara used the Everest theme and it's become famous around the rugby and sporting folklore, you know, since the Heineken Cup final. And probably rightly so. In Leinster, we used to theme the seasons back in those early years as well. One of the, one of the years actually was around Everest, believe it or not, under Cheka back in the day. So I think the theme's actually irrelevant. I think what's relevant is that it means something. So whether that's inches or Everest or whether it's climbing Karen Tool if you're down in Curry, whatever it is, it's something that's meaningful for the players. It's something that players buy into. Joe Schmidt and Ireland Rugby, again, we had a very strong sense of, let's say, theming. We had a very strong sense of the language that was used, the, the mission, the mythology that was used around the squad. And I think what that is is actually irrelevant, but that it means something to the team is highly relevant. Yeah, it's about making it nearly personable to them, yeah. It has to make, you know, imagine going to a group of young 22-year-old ladies footballers and saying, here's your theme, it's about inches, and they're watching Al Pacino. They might go, what the hell are these old men <laughs> talking about? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And literally, we're all old men compared to the young girls at 22 years of age. Yeah. So it's finding something personable, something relevant, something memorable, and something that's highly motivational. Well, that yeah. was what Ron Nogara said um, after the Heineken Cup final last week. It was, he went into the dressing room at halftime. We were nine down this day. 
or we were 10 down the last day and he was like, you know, we, we did it the last time, we can do it again. And he mentioned in his interview that we had a story and we told the boys a story at halftime. And I suppose if it just, if it can, if you can make it relate to them, that's when, when lads can, that's when it makes a difference. Like it's not just pie in the sky kind of a thing. I think so, Mal. And I also think it's overrated. I'm going to be a bit controversial with that. If you haven't done the training, if you're not fit enough, if you don't know the game plan, if you're not able to execute the basic skills under significant pressure, if you don't have the leaders on the pitch that are going to do it anyway, to be honest with you, a lot of the speeches at halftime in my life, I don't remember. 99.9% yeah. of them. I remember Joe's famous speech in 02. I remember Desi Ryan's famous speech in a Sigerson final after extra time. But the rest of them, I can't remember a lot of them. And I, and I played with some of the best players in a generation, and I played against some of them, and I played in Railway Cup finals in, uh, in Paris. But a lot of the speeches I don't remember. So the speeches are overrated. The training and the preparations where it's at. Mm -hmm. And we will get uh, stuck into the current Armagh team here at the minute they played Westmead at the weekend. We were worried beforehand that they might be a bit deflated, a bit flat after the, the defeat to Derry. Um, it kind of did prove to be the case, you know. They managed to get over the line, so it doesn't matter. It's maybe the kind of win that they needed, actually, you know, just to dig one out, brush that all off, and, and then they can finally move on with their season. But, like, you know, from a psychology point of view, how do you get players out of that sort of rut, out of that, uh, stop thinking about the past game and quickly turning it around? I wouldn't tell Kieran McGinney or Kieran McKeever or Hugh Campbell or big Kieran Donaghy how to do their job because they're brilliant fellas and brilliant coaches. I'd say I haven't been in that experience myself when Armagh were knocked out of a big game, maybe uh, knocked out of a big game in 01 and you have to get back on the road again. The most important thing we always said was get back on the road. Find a way to win the game. It's irrelevant. How you play is irrelevant. Find a way to get back on the road. Find a way to win. And actually, it's no harm that the team wins not playing great. Mm. So you're dead right, Lee. It's bounce back ability. Yeah. And it's making sure that everybody in that change room are focused in now on the next game, which obviously is more important. And it's making sure everybody in that change room are aware of winning games when you play rubbish. Again, I refer back to Desi Ryan. Desi Ryan said of us at Queen's, I want us to be able to win games, folks, and he'd always be gentlemanly in his language. He'd say, gentlemen, I want us to be able to win games that people are scratching their head, walking out of the stadium going, how did they actually win that game? That's a sign of a great team. Mm -hmm. Armagh didn't play well at the weekend or as well as they can Westmead would probably be a little bit deflated themselves afterwards Lee but what I think is and I feel very strong about this great teams find a way to win we mentioned La Rochelle earlier on they found a way to win when Leinster had probably the mother and father of all starts of any game in history that's what great teams do they find a way to win even when that's going on yeah no as, as a Toronto fan I'm actually quite nervous about Armagh next week because you know, if they had a Drew or one, they was like uh, they got the bad one out of the way. A little bit like Dublin against Kildare, and then they go into the Leinster final and they just completely blew out of the way. But in the game itself, now like you got to give some credit to Westmead. You know, they went straight into the Lions' den, away from home. No one was giving them much of a hope. Talchin Cup champions, but a disappointing season so far. And they they really took it to Armagh. You know, players like John Heslin, Luke Lachlan, uh, Ronan O'Toole. I mean, they can play in just about any county. Yeah, I was worried for Armagh coming into this game. Just thought that that Ulster final loss, I thought that was, as we mentioned before, I thought that was their Everest and that was the one that they, you know, they had they had it so, they were so close to it, they got to within a penalty shootout and absolute heartbreak because, you know, it's a long time, it's 15 years since Armagh have won an Ulster, too long, a lot of these players, they can't, they've, they've never won. Yeah. 
So I just thought it would have been pure heartbreak for them and to come back out again. And, you know, it's a long road back. They've been relegated from the league as well, which is going to add to the sort of, you know, the, just the disappointed nature of that season. So I suppose I was worried about them coming into um, this week. But to be fair, you know, Westmead started brilliantly. Westmead, a brilliant team and probably haven't got going this year. Um, but they have brilliant players, as you said, Lee, Ronan O'Toole. They were missing Ronan Wallace, who I thought was a huge loss for them. Their centre-back, he had a broken wrist and came on, in fairness. But, um, do you know, Armad, as, as Enda said, they just got, they got, they managed to pull it out of the fire. Like, and they, yeah. ne- they, they needed a win like that to get back on the road. And maybe this will be the one that, you know, kickstarts them again now. No, definitely, and uh, one of the reasons that they won the game was uh, Connor Turbot came on and he got the goal. So Connor, I felt a little bit sorry for Connor. Uh, you know, he got man of the match in the first two games of the Ulster Championship. Uh, was maybe he didn't have the best game against Derry in the final, but none of the forwards really did outside of Ray O'Neill. It was a very frustrating game to play in for a forward, and then he got dropped next day out against Westmeath, and I thought that would have been an opportunity actually for him to get his confidence up again. You know, against the Division Three side get some scores on but he was dropped and he responded perfectly because he came off the bench and he got the goal and then in the end it proved to be the difference so you must you already mentioned Johnny Saxon you had a deal with players probably and then even yourself uh, later on in uh, your Armagh career getting dropped you know like what what's what is the right way to respond is it to be silent and and just oh let my football do the talking because sometimes that's not enough you know uh, not that long ago a Premier League player approached me about being dropped for a big game and he asked me how to approach it to be honest with you, if you've been in that scenario, it makes it a lot easier to advise somebody. So when you're dropped, as we all know, at some stage, everybody's dropped at some stage in their sport. You, you First of all, you're shocked. It's the first thing that happens when you're dropped for a big game if you've been playing well, particularly. The second thing is it takes you two or three days to recover. But after that two or three days, you have to make a decision. How am I going to respond? And I think what Turbot clearly did is he chose to respond in a very positive manner. What great players do is they respond positively, whatever the setback is. We can't ever dictate the setback, but we can dictate how we respond to the setback. Thankfully, that's our freedom of choice. Uh, What I learned to do when I was being dropped towards the end of my career, I'll be open and honest, I was actually very poor at it. I really, really struggled being on the bench. I never got comfortable with it. And actually, in hindsight now, I wish I had been much more comfortable. I wish I had been able to enjoy it. I hated it. I actually could not stick sitting on the bench and being a substitute. I just could never get used to it. It always, always drove me absolutely crazy. And my my best friends in life, some of them who were on that bench as well at that same time, uh, would have said to me, and uh, you didn't handle that very well, and they were right. So I didn't have a positive influence on the other players. I didn't have a positive influence on the team or the coaches because I struggled so much with being a, co- uh, to, with being a sub. If I was to go back now and relive that, I would have made a decision, okay, they're clearly not starting, Yenda, but is there any way you're going to influence they give you five minutes? Is there any way you can influence the coaches to give you 25 minutes, whatever it is? And I think with that mindset, I probably would have got much more game time. But they could see that I was so pissed off at being dropped that they probably made a decision, we're not going to give this guy any game time. Mm-hmm. So Turbot did that. He responded positively, which is the only thing you could do. If you're being dropped, there's only one response. There's no other response. You either respond positively and say to the coach and the senior players and the younger players, I'm ready for this. I'm disappointed. In some cases, I'm devastated. And in the Premier League, some of the players would literally knock on the door of the coaches and say, I'm disgusted. I've done all I can do. I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. I'm I'm delivering the game plan under pressure and so on. But I choose to respond positively. 
and then even just on that knocking on the door is that the wrong thing to do then is it not a, is it a good thing to have a conversation with your manager yes. i'm not saying go smashing the door down but it's a good open thing dialogue. it's a good thing to have a chat but pick the right time Okay. Go to the coach at the right time. I remember back in the day, even at Leinster, some of the players would knock on Checker's door, yeah. and I'd say, always go at the right stage. Uh, I know in Ireland rugby, in Ireland camp, some of the players would go maybe late in the evening and go over and have a chat with Joe or Les Kiss or Andy Farrell, and you'd be sort of in around the environment when we're having that chat, and you'd hear the conversation going on. So it's a very good thing to go and have the chat, pick the right time, have the right tone, make sure your preparation's done so you, you know what chat you're going to have. You're not saying, I'm devastated, I'm not playing. You're saying, yes, I'm devastated I'm not playing, but I'd like to understand what I can do better. What mm -hmm. do I need to do in the next two or three weeks to get back into this team? So whether that's elite golfers that we work with who aren't picked for a Ryder Cup or maybe all are picked, uh, whether it's elite Premier League players, whether it's elite Gaelic Games players, or whether it's somebody in professional rugby, we've dealt with hundreds, maybe thousands of people in that scenario. So you'd always sit down a scenario plan it with them. So you sit down with them, get them to practice as if I'm the coach, how they're going to have the chat with a coach, how they're going to have the chat maybe with the owner of the club yeah. about a new contract. And sometimes that's more serious. You know, if there's a new contract worth a million dollars on the table, uh, then it's a more serious scenario than someone being dropped for an Ulster final. No, of course. Yeah, I'm all pumped now. I might actually get on the team next week, you know. <laughs> but uh, I want to ask you about Kier McGinney, um, someone you would have played with. Uh, for a long, long time. He's now the manager of Armagh. We can only ever see him from the outside looking in and then sort of what little interviews you know, you hear after games, which you don't get a lot from anyway, really. So what, what, what's he like as, as a personality and how, do, how would you imagine he'd be like in that dressing room as a manager? I think the first time I met Geezer was probably 11 or 12 years of age. Kieran and I played for the same club at home, Mullabon. Um, my brother Justin, obviously my brother Paul and Patrick played for the same club. Geezer's brothers also played for the same club. Paddy, uh, Declan McGinney, two very good footballers as well. Even as an 11-year-old young schoolboy, Geezer was playing obviously senior football at that stage. My daddy was the coach of the Mullaban team, so you're always in the car listening to the conversations or watching the team playing or training. The first thing that stood out about Geezer was he was always unbelievably fit. Even at that age, 17 years of age, he always worked extremely hard. He was always the player that in the clutch would step up. It could be an intermediate championship game, could be an under-21 game, could be a senior football game. Uh, he'd always come up with a big play, like he did in the All-Ireland final in 0-2, the big block at the right stage. What else was he always good at doing? Particularly skillful player that not an awful lot of people give him credit for. And by skill, I don't mean, you know, silky skills of dummy solo. I mean skills of the old school Gaelic football skills, the block, the catch, you know, even a one-handed, uh, let's say, tackle, left-handed tackle, right-handed tackle, unbelievably good in the air, very good at breaking the ball. Uh, his long foot pass, highly underrated skill, I think, in Gaelic games now today, even highly underrated. So as a young player, started to watch him, then started to train along with him. So it, I started to play senior football when I was 14 or 15. Geezer at that stage was 20. So imagine what it's like in a training session when you're training against Geezer or with Geezer, you're learning very quickly, you toughen up pretty quickly because he nurtures you, yet he's tough with you. We could be in a tackling drill with him and maybe Kieran McGinney and one of the guys from Mullaban, one of my best friends, a guy called Coley Burns. Coley's a six foot four farmer, but like steel. Kieran McGinney's about six foot, but like steel. You're learning the hard way quickly. Uh, he's also giving you a bit of coaching advice. 
very early in life. He's saying, Enda, come on, you, you need to work on that first step quickness. Or Enda, you really need to work on that long foot pass. And we'd spend hour after hour after hour at the end of the session practicing. Or whenever I came to live in Dublin, then me and Geezer would go and do a sprint session, then we'd do a weight session, and then we'd do a skill session in the evening. We'd train three times a day. So we would have spent thousands of hours with him literally during that 15, maybe 20-year period. Uh, so I couldn't speak any more highly of him as a player. As a captain, he was inspirational. He would never ask you to do something to do himself. Me and Geezer and Justin would have always sat the day before the match in Uri or in Dublin, uh, Justin fullback, Geezer centre-half, me cornerback, and we'd have almost what I call triangulation meeting. We would chat about, well, if Canavan loses me, Justin step inside, you take him. If uh, Mike Frank Russell loses Justin, Geezer, you step in and take him. And we'd always have those pre-match chats. Mm -hmm. It was always over a bun and a cup of coffee. And when we left that uh, cafe, we had a lockdown. We had a lockdown, what was going to happen tactically, tactically, mentally, from a leadership point of view and so on. So Geezer was always formidable in that space. As a coach... Geezer is highly motivational, uh, would set incredibly high standards. So he wouldn't be asking the players to do anything that he's not still willing to do himself, whether it's fitness, whether it's dedication, whether it's discipline, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's giving back to the community and so on. Uh, as a coach, he's clearly put a strong backroom staff around him. You mentioned Hugh Campbell earlier, Julie Davis, Kieran Donaghy, Kieran McKeever, uh, Dennis Hollywood. So I know a lot of those folks. He would, had, he would set extremely high standards. Uh, the last thing I'd say about him is open the learn. I know uh, he's had a hard time in the last couple of months in the media. A lot of people saying a lot of things about him and his coaching staff. Lee, let, let's be honest, you know, really, really critical, really scathing in some capacities. It's easy to be scathing. The three of us could sit here now and be scathing about somebody who was in the coaching ticket in Leinster Rugby. Sean O'Brien's one of the most iconic players in Irish rugby in history, but he was on the coaching ticket in Leinster. Is he probably devastated? Yes. Could I easily come out in a scathing way to Shawnee and what he did or didn't do or Leo Cullen? Yes. But I, I think that's amateur uh, analysis. I think being scathing is easy. I think giving constructive, fur, measured uh, criticism is hard. I think giving uh, criticism, especially when we're all talking in the media in a way that if they were sitting in the room now, they'd say, you know what? There's respect in that. Mm -hmm. And I think Gaelic Games is so bloody small that everything we say, I would rather say it in the spirit of, we're in the same tribe here. This is one of the greatest sports in the world that we're all playing and all being part of, ladies football, football, hurling and camogie. And I think we've all got a bit of a responsibility. Yes, the challenge, anybody at any level, but do it in a respectful t uh, tone. So that if they're in the room or their mother was in the room or their wife was in the room or their daughter was in the room or maybe some of the old club was in the room that say, he was challenging, but you know what? He did it in a respectful way, or she did it in a respectful way. So I would certainly look in at the Armagh coaches at the moment, Lee, and it's a long answer to your question, to say out of the utmost respect for them. I know they've had a difficult time recently in the media, but I've no doubt the character of those folks, they want to bounce back strong, and they want to go as long and as deep as they can in this championship. You yeah. mentioned there, and that uh, training three times a day, and, you know, this when you were playing, and I heard you in an interview before where you said that sometimes you wish you didn't go as hard and that sometimes you overdid it and, you know, sometimes less is more. Um, you strike me as a very similar character and similar person to McGinney in that you're so driven and so on top of everything. Like, do you think it's something that he has learned in, in from his own playing days 
like you have that, do you know, sometimes you have to, less is more. Well, I'd say I'm not good enough at it yet either, to be honest with you. No, like I, I need to get better at it. Something I have to work out even today with my own team, we're, we're in the middle of a hyper-growth mode in our own company, McNulty. And every day with my own colleagues, they'll probably still say, end is too intense, end of, you know, e- ease up. It's Friday afternoon, it's four o'clock, would you, for God's sake, ease up. So something still I have to try and teach myself. And your listeners want to know how I teach myself. I think yoga, meditation, you know, that idea of try soft and not harder is pretty important. It's something I wish, as you've said, rightly now, I wasn't good enough as a player. Uh, it's something in life now I'm trying to teach myself to be better in the moment, not be striving for the next championship or the next big goal or the next million dollars or whatever it is, the next big contract, and trying to teach myself to be better in the moment, to be more relaxed, to be you know, more engaged, even before coming in here this afternoon. I wanted to give myself an hour to wind down a little bit so that your listeners wouldn't say, who the hell is that guy think he is? He's, he's driving in sixth gear here. Even I hope when they're listening in, they're, they're driving their car in, in second gear. They're leaning back, not leaning in, you know? So I'm certainly not good enough at it now. I've learned from some amazing people in that space. Yeah. I spent uh, some time in Japan with Buddhist monks, and they're probably the people that more than anybody else have taught me and maybe give me a very firm nudge about the concept of slowing right down, getting into the middle of the moment, being absolutely mindful. We hear about that sexy, cool concept of being mindful, but knowing what it is, let's say, at a theoretical level versus knowing how to do it in the middle of an All-Ireland final, two totally different codes. So just say as a player, if you are, you're very intense. And Conor Myler is one that springs to mind. He he said after they won the All-Ireland that he was too intense and he was getting bogged down and thing, you know, too much information, maybe paralysis by analysis kind of thing. And I, I was listening to you before and you talked about Luke Fitzgerald and how when he was playing... He was, as he struck as more laid back in that he'd get up and he'd have his breakfast and then he'd read a magazine and he'd go back to bed and, you know, pure relaxed. Like if you're trying to coach, say, someone, a player who is uh, intense to be a bit more relaxed and, you know, to actually just to ease up. Because you say, you know, relax before a big game. But what do you actually mean? Like, is it is it that like, is that too, taking it too far if a lad is just kind of, chilling around the house or is, I suppose just do what you want to do well I suppose working with Luke Fitzgerald I love the way you brought up Lukey now so Luke Fitzgerald when I started working with Luke he was 18 years of age uh, he joined the Irish squad probably at 18 or 19 years of age played for the Lions not that long after which is hard to believe and played Gaelic games in his early schoolboy days as well I asked them, look, what do you do on match day? I get up, I have breakfast, what do you do? I go back to bed. What do you do then? I get up, I have lunch, what do you do then? I go back to bed, I read a magazine that's nothing to do with sport. What do you do then? I get up, I go to my pre-match meal. And when he was saying that, I was thinking, my God, I would have done maybe 15 minutes uh, footage of Peter Canavan's best place. Because you did this, <laughs> didn't you, before? You did a mad session before in All-Ireland. You know, I, I'd be thinking all the mistakes I've made. And, and isn't mistakes great if we're able to turn it around into lessons for the future generations? So I think learning to relax is a key skill. There's no reason for being tense on All-Ireland final day or a championship final day or any championship day. Be dead relaxed. Even when you get onto the bus, be relaxed. Even when you get in the change rooms, be relaxed. Even when you start your warm-up, be relaxed. And then when the strength and conditioning coach blows the whistle and it's 18 minutes before kickoff, then start to switch in. Mm-hmm. 
that's the time to switch in because otherwise if you're switched on from nine o'clock in the morning you can't keep going to the next level of intensity intensity so dead relaxed dead chilled conserve all energy just learning to do that is learning. isn't it the great coaches that's what great performance coaches do they create that little bit of let's say uh, for one a better phrase performance pyramid for the players so they know how to get up and they know how to get back down at half time. They know how to get up again in the second half. And they know how very quickly to get back down. Jimmy Heaslip's probably one of the best i ever seen in my life in any sport at that. He had a very uh, amazing metaphor of shake and bake. Get ready on match day. Be dead cool. He would waste no energy on any of the trappings, any of the hype, any of the immediate stuff. Dead cool. Dead calm. It's almost like I was going to Sunday Mass. Absolutely dead cool. Not a worry in the world. 18 minutes before you'd go and he'd have the cans on, literally a big set of cans like this on his head. You go, there couldn't be a big game happening here at Heineken Cup final or Grand Slam decider. And here he is, dead cool. You can look even at his facial expressions, facial muscles, dead calm, neck very calm. You're always watching those little, what I call micro messages. If you're in the change rooms of the Irish team before the All Blacks, you're watching the micro messages. You're watching before the game, you're watching during the game, you're watching halftime and so on. Jimmy, ice cool. Now, come game time, turn your head off. But in before the game, dead, calm, dead, cool. So you said that was one of the things you learned is looking back, you wish you were more relaxed. So how, if you were back now and you're 22, how would you, what way would you go about knowing all you do now? What way would you go about being more relaxed up until being like Jamie Heaslip? I was advised when I was at Queen's, uh, John Kramer, the great sports psychologist at Queen's, would have worked with Throne back in the day, done a wee bit of work with us at Queen's. He was amazing. He always said to me, and uh, get it all locked early in the week. Get all your mental preparation done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. By Wednesday, your mental preparation is done. Most players do it the other way around. They do all their physical preparation the whole bloody year, unless it's before the Throne County final or the, uh, the Camogie-Leinster final. They do their mental preparation the last three days. Flip it around. Get all your mental preparation done early and then switch off. And there's a phrase that I'd use there is, the computer's programmed. It's done. You're locked and loaded. At that stage, all you should have in your head is go out and play. Fully express yourself, go and play, throw all shackles off and 100% express yourself. So in the morning of the match, you have no more preparation to do. You don't have technical to do. You don't have tactical to do. You don't have physical to do. You don't even look at your boots. All your studs are all tightened. Your boots are polished on the Friday night. Have it done. You have it done. So then, then you focus in your warm up. And in your warm-up, you're ruthlessly focusing on the skills. And, you know, whether it's catching the slitter or whether it's hand-passing the ball. So you're so zoned in on the skill execution that you're not worried about the trappings outside the white lines. Then you focus on your breathing. So your breathing allows you to relax. Took me too many years to figure that out. By focusing on your breathing, and you might know in the last week and a half it's become pretty famous, one famous player in the Henning Cup final who was screaming to the other players, get your breath. Because when you're focusing on your breath, you can't be focusing on other clutter in your head. I learned this from one of the best mental toughness coaches in America. I spent a lot of time with him over there. He worked with all the NBA and NFL and top athletes in the world. And he'd said to me, and when the players or athletes are under major pressure, whether it's the NFL final, Super Bowl, obviously, or whether it's the NBA or whether it's in your sport, he couldn't even say GA. He says, what's that? G-A-I. He couldn't even pronounce what the hell it was. And he'd say, just get them to focus in on the quality of their breathing. Because when we're focusing on our breathing, we're getting out of our mind and we're centering ourselves right down into the middle of the moment. So to relax, the mechanism for relax, focus in the process. 
The mechanism of relax is focusing on the breath. The mechanism of relax is make sure you focus where your eyes go. Are your eyes on outside the white lines on, you know, your, your parents or the scoreboard? Are your eyes on what exactly is happening in front of your eyes here and now? Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched now, to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all prepped for my next game already. Um, <laughs> I want to ask one last question about Kieran McGinney, okay, because it's, there's this, you can maybe bust a myth for me. Um, and it's the silliest thing in the world. But a coach told me it, I think, at under 10s, and it's been repeated to me ever since. And I don't know if it's just where I'm from that this little rumours went around and we've all lived off it as though it's some inspirational take. But apparently, he spent £30 a day on fruit. And that's how like diligent he was. And, and it was just a lot of money and everyone. And I was oh, continuously told this really random myth, or, or maybe it's not. Is there any truth in that? I just need to know. I think Geezer was here in studio with us. He'd say that when he came to play for Nafena, it was actually funny. A lot of stuff was shown Kieran at that time. I went to play for Nafena afterwards that he was paid by Nafena to play. Yes. That he only joined Nafena from Mullabon because that he got paid a lot of money. And Geezer always said at this stage, the only reason he joined Nafena was because he wanted to play with a team, didn't have to travel all the time home and manage his energy. It was a great team. Desi Farrell, of course, was on that great team. But I think mythology has it and maybe fact has it that he always got a free box of fruit. So the Nafena boys would give him a free box of fruit. We all got fruit because some of the people around the Nafena club were, let's say, into their fruit retail. And all the players would have got a free box of fruit to come home that evening. So I, w I don't think he spent any money on the fruit. Right. I think that is to break that myth. Uh, he got the fruit for free. But <laughs> Giza would always have laughed and joked. That was the only thing that Nafena paid him. But he was very fond of that club and still is very fond. Of course, I'm. I'm so glad it's a weight off my shoulders. I've always wanted to know because, <laughs> like, and I don't know what the point of the message was to you when they were telling me, like, do I have to go and eat more bananas or, or what the crack more protein? Is? Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's that's. I feel loads better. Um, another game that happened was uh, Derry v Monaghan, and then this was a very different sort of game because it's nearly the opposite to Monaghan, or sorry, to Armagh in the sense that Derry had to come down from a high. You know, they, they got the big win. They put everything on the line. You know, Shane McGuigan cramping up, taking the last penalty. Literally give la every last ounce of themselves. And then two weeks later, you're like, actually, this is the championship. You have to really, you go up again. And that's that's a big ass, especially against the Monaghan team who prepared so diligently from them. So have you ever been in that situation where, you know what, one actually springs to mind already. 2005, that Ulster final against Tyrone, the replay in Crow Park. That must have been... Enormous. I was at that match. I was devastated, <laughs> but uh, like it must have felt like everything at the time. But actually, you had a quarterfinal. You know, in in a few weeks' time. Like, how do you get your mind right for that? Well, I love the way you, you refer to O five and you tied it into Monaghan Derry at the weekend. I think Gaelic games because of this new competitive structure. It's a bit like a roller coaster ride. I feel for the Derry players to be honest with you because it wasn't true in the last few weeks. Right, The thing that we need to bring up is that one of their coaches, their head coach, is no longer their coach. No matter what that background scenario is, no matter what that context is, that's very difficult. The players are reading that all day, every day. I notice that it's been pretty much either front or back page constantly in the north and even in the south over the last few weeks. So no matter what the coaches say to them and the county board says and the senior players say, that's a difficult thing. I'd find that very difficult, even if I was 35 years of age, even at I'm now 46 years of age, I still would find that quite difficult to manage that and get the messaging right for the players, for the community, for the clubs, the younger players in particular you think about, and the family and the young kids involved. Very tricky. So that's an emotional roller coaster itself. Never mind winning that amazing Ulster final. 
after penalties. Never mind the fact that Monaghan are clearly still badly hurting after their defeat. And sometimes when you get a defeat like Monaghan uh, obviously suffered, you have a decision to make again there and you get a chance to review it. You get a chance to reflect. You get a chance, what do we not do so well? So when you're defeated, you have a chance to reflect. But when you win, you think everything's great here. So in essence, you've got two teams that were going at this from two totally different psychological scenarios. Uh, one that was clearly hurting, one that were triumphant. One that was still trying to figure a way, what do we do without our head coach, even though the other coaches are very capable because they'll be very friendly with Enda Muldoon, very respectful of the young man. But they're coming at it from a totally different emotional and psychological point of view than obviously Monaghan. Monaghan are hurting. Monaghan are really disappointed, I'm sure, how they let themselves down in Ulster. Derry had won Ulster and everybody said that the greatest thing since, you know, the great Andy Tohill era. So I know which one of those two teams I'd rather look after psychologically. Monaghan's easier to work with psychologically that week than Derry because Derry think they're rock stars. And when you think you're rock stars, you won everything, you're vulnerable. So what did they say? The best balanced athlete and team is a team with a chip on both shoulders. So Monaghan probably had a chip on both shoulders and a chip on their head, really, really hurting, really, really hungry, really going, we have to find a way to win this game because if Monaghan get beat in that game, it's over. It's season over. And for Conor McManus, it's career over. Mm-hmm. So they have to find a way to win. And Derry know if we lose, what the hell? We're going to get back on the road again. Yeah, and like you, you mentioned there that... Uh, Monaghan got to review the game and reassess things, and Vinnie Corey definitely did that, and he made some very big calls, Niall, dropping Conor McManus and Jack McCarran, your favourite player. Like, I thought they might drop one, you know, because obviously, like, these, these the Conor McManus maybe probably, in my opinion, best for Ulster's produced in the last decade. Jack McCarran is a special, special talent. They're your two main men. They've dug you out so many times before. Vinnie Corey actually played with them, so there's, like, an extra, you know, layer of the relationship there. And then he had, let's say, you know, he had the balls to drop them, you know, for this match. Like, it must have been a huge decision to make, but it, it paid off in the end. And on top of that, they were the last two subs onto the field. 69th yeah. minute, 74th. McManus was only on for the guts of a minute mm-hmm. um, in the game. So it was a complete U-turn for Monaghan. Vinnie Corey, he looked at what happened the first day against Derry, losing by 10 points. And he was, he said, like, we can't do that again. What, like... Something has to change, and you have to give him credit for that, that he knew, okay, things went wrong the first day, but, do you know, we're going to change, and that's what they did, and as Enda said, they would have had a chip on both shoulders, everyone would have been writing them off, like, Monaghan, do you know, they've beaten Tyrone, they've stayed up in the league, they've had a decent year, mm-hmm. and just because that one blotted on the copybook against Derry, people writing them off, Monaghan, do you know, this is it, they're Monaghan, they're not much coming from there. But Monaghan, they, they constantly prove people wrong, and they did it again, and there's no better man to epitomise it for me than Carol O'Connell at 34 years of age. And Colin Walsh's tweet, you have it there in front of you, Lee, what he said about Carol O'Connell, um, said that there's no, in the country, is there anyone playing as well at that at that age in the country at the minute? Mm-hmm. And and he, he doesn't think so. And I, I struggle to think so as well because if we go back to that Tyrone game, he was the man, or go back to the, yes, the Tyrone game, he was the man that, he got a goal against Derry, he set up the goal for Ryan O'Toole, bombing through against uh, Tyrone, the famous goal. And Carl O'Connell, I know he was an athlete back in the day, a sprinter, and he still has that speed about him. And just, uh, 
I don't know, Andy, you'd, you'd obviously worked with some, some players who were younger, some players who were older, but a man like him who seems to be getting better with age is uh, it's, it's some tribute to, to, to a fella. Yeah, well, you mentioned speed there. I think speed is a majorly underrated asset now at Gaelic Games because of the tactical evolution of the game. Lee, you were saying to me in our preparation for today's interview, you know, what were the things we maybe converse on and chat about and collaborate on? We're talking about the tactics. Mm-hmm. I think the tactics of Gaelic games have advanced so much in the last five years, never mind in the last 15 years, it's unbelievable. Now, one of the things that can unpick a lock is speed. So all teams now at all levels, ladies and men, hurling and football, Camogie obviously included, they've all got good defensive structures if you want to win anything. You're not going to win unless you have a good defensive structure. The team that wins Ill Ireland this year would be the team with the best defensive structure and the best attacking, let's say, capability. Now, you can always unpick that. Like in rugby, I know from because I've worked with some of the best defensive coaches in the world, Andy Farrell's one of them, Les Kiss was another one of them, that if you've got somebody who's a rocket, they're going to punch a hole. And in that Monaghan scenario, right on cue, if you've got somebody who can see in front of them four or five men, but they're going to slice a hole through it, it's just amazingly, uh, let's say, strong. It's, it's an amazing asset. And that's exactly what you're saying. I suppose it's, it's going forward. Speed is the thing that will get you through. And defending speed is the thing that's going to save you, is De- what you're saying. Defending, defending you need to have, uh, if you're going to be a brilliant defender, you need to have about four or five things. You need to have, uh, let's say numbers around you so you've got that almost telepathic sense of your defenders around you so I know if I'm going to get beat I've got somebody who's going to cover me myself and Kieran McGinney and Justin my brother Justin we would have had almost that telepathy that if I'm beat Justin's covering if Kieran's beat I'm going to cover if uh, let's say Justin drops the ball and behind Benny Tierney one of the, the Armagh goalkeeper we know he's going to clear the lines you wouldn't just, even have to talk to them lads it's just not at all exactly now you, you'd see it you'd literally know you wouldn't even need to look behind you because it's going to be covered and not only that you know Justin's going to hit somebody like a Parag Joyce with the shoulder or, or Geese is going to make a big block you know so great defenders yes they have to be speed agility is nearly as quick as, as important for a defender because you need to be turning a dime interestingly looking at some of the Curie players uh, in their last game I was watching it actually before it came in on GA Go in their game against Mayo I was a little bit surprised at the lack of agility uh, watching the Dublin players again on GA Go just before I come in to make sure I was ready for you boys <laughs> I noticed that Dublin players surprised me that their agility to get back in the defensive position wasn't as quick as it would have been from my estimation in the last few years so agility is important telepathy is important speed is important anticipation is everything yeah, that it probably comes from the anticipation. If you're not anticipating, you won't look agile, you look slow. And I suppose a mix of anticipation and a mix of, do you know, are you are you in the zone? Are you ready to go straight away? Yeah, I, I think def- defending's a skill that's not spoken enough about in Gaelic games. And by that I don't mean can you get a block on or a tackle on. The best defenders, their man wouldn't even be involved because they've anticipated the play and the ball isn't going to be passed him in the first place. Mm-hmm. So brilliant defenders could be involved with a game without touching the ball once and have a man-of-the-match type performance, but nobody's ever going to notice it. And that's because your anticipation levels is like it's like an elite pianist anticipating what's going to happen next in an orchestra. So you're anticipating four plays ahead what's going to be happening. That's the great defenders. Yeah, and even on that, like O'Connell, like he'll be remembered for this game because he kicked that point at the end and uh, it was just fantastic, a clutch moment. But also, Brendan Rodgers wasn't really involved in that match because he was on him. Do you know when Brendan's one of the... Like, the Unformed footballers in the country right now, mm. uh, and the hardest to mark, and the hardest to mark. Yeah, he's because he's, he's so 
you know, he's got blistering pace yeah, himself. Yeah, Carlo Connell is the man for him. That's in it. that sense. Uh, uh, definitely. So tactically, they just they just set up so well. They, but Gary Mohan, he started out in mid or in full forward, but they brought him back to midfield to deal with Connor Glass. They did deal with that, and yeah, I mean. They just did their homework. Like I mean, it was just fair play to them about it. Like you talk yeah. a lot about leaderships and leaders. I didn't really know a big pile about Vinnie Corey as a manager or a coach. Just remembered him, you know, as a player, um, back for Monaghan. So like he didn't really have a huge reputation when he took his job. But now already, like we're talking about him so much and the things he's doing and making those decisions and seeing them pay off. That'll get real buy-in from the players, wouldn't it? I had a conversation recently with the former CEO of Investec Ireland, who of course should have been Monaghan's sponsors. Um, his name is Michael Cullen. And I was asking Michael, what did he think of Vinnie Corey? Because he would have known Vinnie pretty well, obviously, as a player. He said, brilliant leader, brilliant role model, smart, good football IQ. Uh, he'd go a long way. I really trust that man's judgment. I played against Vinnie Corey, I think, towards the end of my career. Vinnie was still starting to play, of course brilliant footballer and it's great to see guys that got going on to develop as great coaches as well mm-hmm. he's learned very quick in fairness to him and yeah. that like that as he said the the horses for courses and learning picking learning his lesson and running with it yeah ma- making you know the right decision then and the, and the rebound was uh and, a, to him. and how he sets up the next game because like the two boys might just come straight back in and he's fun interesting you know, to see yeah how he, how he does it like i like that because like if you look someone like Derry, they're, they're so well drilled and so well set up but a bit rigid maybe at times. You, they want to be this way and then everyone has to play their game and they dominate while Vinny is maybe a tinker do you know he, he can change the team to suit the opposition and cloudy around the area of yeah, 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 we yeah. Go with that. yeah I like that I like that a lot uh, one player we have to talk about from Derry's perspective is Shane McGuigan he is just playing some crazy crazy stuff he's probably the on form forward in the country right now like we've been putting him in the brackets of like Clifford and Walsh this last few weeks and it's completely justified. That's that's how good he is. Uh, this is a kid who's just reached what looks like his peak, and if it's not his peak, it's scary to think how good he can get. And I want to just talk about that because I hear uh, sports psychologists say things like flow state or being in the zone, and I don't really know what it means. I've never been good enough to get into one. But um, is, is right he in? Now, yeah, <laughs> I'm in it right now. Is right. Uh, is that is that what he's in? Is he in his peak? Super high confidence. What is it? So flow state, a guy called Michal sent me high is the guy who made flow state famous, obviously a famous psychologist. Flow state, sometimes referred to as zone, sometimes referred to as zone of optimal functioning. It's basically that state where time seems to slow down. It's that state where you're totally immersed in the middle of the moment. It's that state where it actually is, seems easy. It's like Roger Federer playing a Wimbledon final and it's almost as if nothing can go wrong. Flow state is where you absolutely have total control of your emotions. Flow state is where all your training, all your preparation, your thousands of hours of preparation uh, results in you being totally at ease with your environment and your, let's say, your conditions. Flow state is when nothing else matters. You're not thinking about the outcome or the results. You're not thinking about the significant results or final. You're not thinking about what might happen in 20 years time or 20 minutes time. Flow state is when it's as if you can play a game of chess and see all the chess pieces and plays 10 steps ahead and the other player is struggling to see the next play. So bringing it back then to young McGuigan, yes, it seems that he's playing in that flow state much more regularly than he was a few seasons ago. Mm -hmm. The great players, that's what it's like. 
because they've mastered their skills so much and their preparation has been so good and their mental preparation is so good and they're so comfortable with themselves and maybe their routines and rituals are so good, they can get into the flow state more regularly. So if we think about what I've spent the last 25 years doing, it's trying to get players into that flow state more regularly. Whether that's some of the best performers in the performance arts world, whether that's some of the elite CEOs when I work around the world, how do you get them in flow state if they go live on CNN? How do you get somebody who's a Premier League captain to be flow state when they walk into the change rooms at halftime in a big FA Cup game? How do you get somebody, if they're an investor, to be in flow state and looking at a screen and making decisions real time? And they're looking at a screen and the significance of that is if they don't get this decision right, it could be a multi-million dollar decision. Mm-hmm. So flow state in, in any performance crucible, it tends to be the same characterization. You're calm. You're enjoying every split second of it. Uh, it's a bit like this interview. So I would challenge you, Lee, flow state doesn't only happen in Gaelic games. It can happen here in studio. It can happen from somebody who's a mother and they're trying to really communicate effectively with a little kid with autism. And that mother is so much in flow that she's getting a sense of she's really resonating with the wee kid with autism. And she has mastered her communication skills so much that she's in flow and, and really, really inspiring the little chill through her body language. So flow state doesn't have to be in sport. In fact, flow state can be in the pursuit of any physical or mental activity when we're in that calm, joyful, uh, focused, confident state. It's just... It's just what's the best way I can describe it, it's optimal. Not Mm. too tight, not too loose, not too fast, not too slow, not too confident, not uh, too underconfident. It's just in that right, that's why it's called the zone. In that right zone of, uh, let's say, tension to relaxation, confidence to uh, underconfidence in the right zone. And then, like, so I remember reading uh, Bernard Brogan's book and he talked about, in 2010, he got Player of the Year and he said he felt unmarkable just give him the ball and he'll score. And then since 2010, he won something like six or seven All-Irelands, Man of the Match Awards and All-Ireland Finals and, and all the rest of it. But he admits that he probably spent the rest of his career trying to recapture that form and never could, always chase in 2010. So is it a fleeting thing? The more you chase after the zone, the more you run away from it. So you're not chasing after the zone. What you're chasing after is be relaxed, be calm. We were talking about earlier on the question that Niall asked earlier on links into your question, Lee. It's focus on the process. Focus in the next moment. Focus on the next ball. Focus on the next tackle. Focus in on being fully engaged even as the, as the O'Neill's is coming towards you in the air. You're focusing on seeing the O'Neill's coming through the air. You're not focused in on I want to be in the zone because if you want to be in the zone you're going to run away from the zone. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes players can, like you said earlier on, Lee, they can have paralysis of analysis. They're overthinking it. Yeah. So sometimes I wouldn't even be talking to the players about the zone or the athletes, the performers. We talk about, let's talk about your preparation. Let's talk about your rituals. Let's find out when do you play at your best? When do you perform at your best? Can you write down the 50 occasions in your life when you perform at your best? Can you come to me with that written down in a journal? Can you then write down what you did before those 50 performances, club games, let's say for Lee and Coke or whatever it is, up in Belfast now. It's, okay, what did you do the night before? What did you do the day before? What did you do the week before? All brilliant performances or peak performances leave a lot of clues. In the last 12 months, we've trained over a thousand people in Intel here in Ireland, and it's about peak performance. How do you get into peak performance? Well, it's, what's your preparation? 
what's your visualization, what's your mental preparation, what's your physical preparation, what's your performance pathway and so on. If you understand that and do that consistently, that's the thing that will bring you towards that peak performance or flow. Mm-hmm. Well, one team that definitely uh, was preparing very well was Ross Common. Now, uh, they did a very good job against Dublin. Um, got the draw in the end, probably disappointed not to win. You had a good stat before. Uh, how long was it since they'd last won? It's 43 years since they've won in, in Croke Park. And Davy Burke, after the game, he was very disappointed that, that this wasn't the day. And you could see why he was disappointed. Um, because Roscommon had, you know, they, they were the better team in the first half, much the better team. And they had opportunities in the second half. Dublin looked a little bit off it. Um, a little bit tentative that Kieran Murta score uh, they, Roscommon held the ball for just under six minutes mm-hmm. which is unbelievable really that Dublin couldn't dispossess them for six minutes um, I suppose a sign of Dublin being slightly standoffish um, in their tackling which is what it looked like that they were so um, Roscommon had chances and they'll be a little bit disappointed that they didn't take them they'll be happy I suppose that they, that they got the draw because they could easily have lost yeah. and looking at it they were lucky to get that last minute free Conor Cox was uh, he made a bit of a meal out of it and, and the referee bought, bought it so uh, and Tony Smith straight in front of the goals tap it over for the draw so a little bit lucky a little bit unlucky in the end but draw maybe the, the fairest result Roscommon had the chances to win it to just you can see why they're disappointed they didn't no, they are disappointed. Uh, Davy Burke loves an ambush, and he nearly pulled off another great one. Um, and I had written an article during the week about Dublin because, well, I'm a dork, really. I sit when I'm eating breakfast and stuff. I sometimes just flick on old games. And um, what was I watching? The 2013 All Ireland final between Dublin and Mayo, and it just struck me that there were something like seven or eight players, key players for Dublin, and they're still key players for Dublin now. You know, ten years on from that All Ireland win, and that's testament to them. It is, but. In that ten year period and even just before that, like players were always the production line was always so strong in Dublin. Uh, like players like Paul Flynn, Bernard Brogan, Michael Dar McCauley were all relegated to the bench before they eventually retired with very little game time. Like these are players you couldn't even imagine a Dublin team without being in at one stage. But now that production line doesn't seem to be as strong. Uh they're they've opened the door for players to come back, Stephen Cluxon, Jack McCaffrey, and they're just Walking straight into the team, like there was like there's no competition for them. I mean, and I, I listen, I got loads of stick on on the article too, but people saying like, oh yeah, your best players, you shouldn't take them back. That's obviously, I mean, they're compl- completely missing the point I'm making. My point is that it can't be a healthy place for a team to be in. I played with Desi and Nafena a lot of time for Desi. I know McManaman's involved with the Dublin setup at the mm-hmm. moment. I know Cluxon's obviously back in, probably the most iconic player of the last twenty five years the biggest game changer in Gaelic games arguably in the last 25 years I was watching a bit of the footage before I came in because I knew you'd talk about this uh, guys and I was thinking to myself you know what's my executive summary of the Dublin performance against Roscommon two very well organised teams two very fit teams Roscommon very athletically strong uh, both well set up defensively I think Desi, if he was sitting here now, one thing he'd probably agree with us on is that their execution of the basic skills probably let them down. And I think it's the one thing that Dublin won all those All-Irelands based on the building block of delivering the basic skills. I was watching some of the tackling detail, what I call tackling detail. You make sure you're tackling on the right side. You make sure you show them the sideline. You know, that, that's the basics of defence. Highly underrated 
probably in most cases under-practiced, under-coached. I noticed a few times the Dublin players defending on the wrong side or getting slipped too easily or whatever it is. I think Dublin didn't do the basics as well as Desi would like yesterday from mm-hmm. watching the footage. Uh, I think Roscommon on the flip side would be very disappointed because you don't get too many chances like that. They'd be devastated. I think you both alluded to that. However, I wouldn't write Dublin off. There's really six or seven teams now that can win this in Ireland. Dublin are definitely in the top seven, no question about that. Uh, and if I was Desi, I'd actually rub my hands going, we drew that game, we didn't play our best football. There's a lot of football we played in the last in the next eight weeks. I, I'd be actually happy because my players are going to be hungry. Everybody's writing them off again. All the Dublin's fans are saying, you know, uh, we're not as good as we used to be. And that's an easy team to coach. Yeah. And like, I suppose this new format maybe lends to that because there is more games and, you know, I think they're back out pretty much next week and that, that'll uh, be exactly what they want to sort of correct those wrongs. Um, really, really, the only other game was on was uh, Cork v. Loud. Cork won that match. Uh, it was quite an exciting game. They won by two points. Fair play to Loud. They went attacking. I didn't think they would after getting such a hammering from Dublin. But unfortunately for Loud, they're probably out of the championship now. Would that be fair to say? It's an absolute disaster for Loud. And um, you could see it in Sam Mulroy's interview on the Saturday game after the match. He was devastated. And it's easy to see why you'd have Kerry and Mayo coming up now. There's three teams going through. And, you know, that Cork Loud game, that was the shootout. Because you'd expect Kerry and Mayo. I know Mayo beat Kerry and Kerry were disappointed. But you'd expect Kerry to bounce back. Uh, they're playing Cork this weekend. So you kind of saw that as the shootout between Cork and Louth. And uh, Cork just seemed to have the edge. The leading the most of the way through the game seemed to have a little bit of an edge on Louth. Um, you know, Brian Hurley back playing mm-hmm. well. Um, Ian Maguire bossing things in midfield. Cork just, yeah, they, they rose their game. You don't know what you're going to get from Cork, really, but... Um, John Cleary be happy he got he got them playing playing well at the weekend and uh, do you know it, it livens it up for them and it leaves Loud in a bit of a bad place. No, it does. They're a little bit like Kildare in that sense that you never know what you're going to get, but they'll be rubbing their hands next week going against uh, Kerry. That's a bit uh, that's been struggling, you know, and they're just a now Corker off the back of a win. It's maybe the the best chance that they've had against them in years. Um, and uh, we're going to do a very very quick. Quick fire round, quick being the key operative word here because we're running out of time, but we're going, we're going to fly through it anyway. So you just empty that brain of yours and I'm going to ask you something and you come straight out of it. Flow state, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, who will win the All-Ireland this year? That's a curry. GAA or rugby? What, as a player or as a coach? Or as just a sport that you prefer at the minute. Uh, Remember what podcast you're on? I think the way we're marketing <laughs> rugby 10x better than GA. Uh, I think we have a lot of work to do in terms of how we promote the games internationally. I like to see us significantly shift that. Uh, rugby is a brilliant game when it's played like the Heineken Cup final. It can be a terrible game. Gaelic games, if it's coached well, it can be brilliant. It can also be terrible. Depending on which team is coached by the best coach. Fair. Uh, toughest player you've ever had to mark? Uh Jim Morrison, Armagh in training every night. Steve McDonald in Armagh training every night. No tougher opponent. No, it couldn't have been easy nights. Uh, favourite book you've ever read? My own book, Commit to Lead. Only joking. <laughs> uh, famous book I've ever read, Michael Johnson from a sports point of view, his book called Gold Rush. Another book called uh, The Brain That Changes Itself, a book about neuroscience, believe it or not, it's a game-changing book. Uh, another one of my favourite books. 
There's two. Uh, your hero growing up was? My hero growing up was Kieran McGinney would have been one of them. My mum, my dad. Uh, a guy called Seamus Mallon, who was one of the key negotiators of the Good Friday Agreement. Muhammad Ali, Nelson Mandela. Sweeper keepers, yeah or nay? Uh, absolutely. Brilliant evolution in Gaelic Games. Best manager you ever had? I have a differentiated manager and coach. Uh, Michael Kearney is the current manager there. I with him, one of the greatest managers in world sport, I would say. He's one of my good friends. He's one of my mentors. We, we work very close to each other. Best coach you ever had? Desi Ryan at Queen's was unbelievable. Joe Kiernan, unbelievable. Uh, Brian McAlinden, highly underrated, highly under-respected. And then lastly, and I'm always interested in this, where do you keep your All-Ireland medal? It's in the drawer in Armagh. I think it's in the top left drawer in my bedroom. Uh, an old school dresser that my mum has at home. It's an antique one. I never looked at it say, in 19 years. <laughs> I'd have it pinned to my chest. <laughs> um, Enam and Nulty, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And we'll be back shortly with some hurling talk with Niall. I'm delighted to be joined by um, Carlo Hurler, Marty Kavanagh, who had a great weekend winning the, the Joe McDonough Cup and uh, man of the match in the finals. So, uh, Marty, uh, a phenomenal stuff and a, a phenomenal day for Carlo. Yeah, an, an unbelievable day, uh, a special, special day, a special weekend. Um, look, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a day that will live long in the memories for Carlo people and... Uh, you know, just the, the scenes after it and just the pure joy and emotion of people like... Um, you know, we never seen anything like it as well. Just the homecoming and the crowd we we got like uh it was brilliant and um look we're just delighted to get over the line because obviously we, we let a few just leave slip at the end and so going next extra time then it was it was probably people probably thoughtfully had the edge but fair star as we regrouped and we dug it out and we're just delighted to get over the line then then. Yeah, it was it was manic stuff there for a finish and when Chris Nolan got the ball even before that, the game could have went either way, really. Um, and I'd say, watching on, even as a neutral, it, it was nerve-wracking stuff. But what was what was going through your head when, when Chris got the ball late on? Ah, sure. Look, I suppose it, it's initially delayed to see that he was um, coming onto the ball. I suppose he had a little a little bit of faith that he was able to kind of gather the ball up at first and uh, catch um, fairness, he turned, he turned lovely, but sure, obviously the legs are the legs were fairly shook at that stage. And in fairness, home here he 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 made himself a lovely a bit of space to cut back inside, and sure, there's no less you rather have on into that like. So um, look, look, you're just at, at that moment you're just hoping the ball is landing and you get the breaks and and look, there's just someone kind of a bit of luck as well. And look, again, it was a great catch from Darren Byrne or centre back and. A long ball up to Chris, and look again. There's no better lad really to to take it on there and and get the score and just relief. Then that went over, but sure, obviously they had the chance then to equalise it too. And mm. look, it's tough on them, obviously. But sure, look, obviously we were delighted that um, she just tail off wide and uh, the ref blew it up. Then thank God. You mentioned there to start that you know you'd never seen scenes and a homecoming like it in, in Carlo. And like I know you won this competition in in 2018, the first year. Did, did it feel nearly even extra special this time for some reason? Yeah, well, I watched it wasn't there in 18, mm. um, but, but the boys were, the, the boys that were there now said if this, um, uh, this is, this is ranks a lot higher, like just, I don't know why, I just, I don't know, this, 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 the pure atmosphere in the match, like, and just the crowd was unbelievable and just the car of support and 
and then when we get we got back then to Carlo, like the, the square was packed, like and it was just brilliant, like something that we just never, I suppose we're not used to, like we wouldn't be used to it, and we're not, we're, we didn't have it before, and you know all the young kids as well, like you know asking to for pictures, and it's great, like it's it's an, it's an unbelievable left Carlo, like and that's going to do so much for county going forward, like so, you know it's, it's, it's we're just absolutely thrilled, like that we can we can just get over the line and give that joy to the to the county, like and. Um, John, like long may I continue. Is is the added excitement? Is it down to the fact, a small bit that you know you had a tough start to the league this year? Um, since he won the Joe McDonough last, you you got got up into Leinster, came back down. You hadn't been in a final, um, since. So I suppose a few years down, it 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 cements how how much it you know how important it is and how much it means to you when when you do get back up. Yeah, because like, look, everyone knows what Joe McDonough at this stage is, and it's an absolute ruthless competition, and it's it's an unbelievable uh, standard. Like, and so you really have to be out of there for the five or six weeks you're playing, like, and it's just tough going, like, and um, like the last two years we probably look, we weren't a million miles off getting to a final, like, we we're probably second or third, probably third in the group there, and so I poke a ball here or there in different matches, we would have been in the final, but um, look, we really knuckled down this year, and we just really focused on the championship and. It was the league and the Kyo Cup to kind of just blood the young lads in and and we trained hard then to hit the ground running for the Kildare match in the first game and sure to kind of toss from there then and you know the points against Kerry and Leash now are were, were, were the looks are on valuable points now looking back on it like and um look we're unbeaten for the we've been unbeaten in the championship like and that's no mean feat in the match on it because the teams are very, very high quality. So look we we going, we went into that final Saturday and absolutely uh, huge confidence and putting up great scores and lads going well like so we just we just knew if we performed we'd be there thereabouts and thankfully we did and look we got to look at the, the green then and we got over the line thank God When you lost the first two games in the league to Kildare and to Kerry then like was there was there ever a sense of like okay we're in a bit of bother here or was there a kind of a grand vision that you know there's a long there's a bigger picture here and there's plenty of time yeah, look, I, I think, I think, um, I think we all knew that like the championship was was where it was at for us. But at the same time, we don't want to, we don't like losing matches either. Like so, um, there's obviously a bit of frustration there too. And so going to train, like you want to become going to train off wins, like and um, but we just kept the head down and we just trusted the process. And look, the main thing was then was just kind of getting our division two status then secured, and we got that done. And you know, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a decent. It's a decent division, in fairness to, for the young lads to come in and, and get a taste for a county senior hurling league. So, we'll lose that um, next year again, like uh, building towards uh, Lee McCarthy to get young lads in again, like so. Um, yeah, it was just a matter of just kind of go back to train. So me after a match if we lost and just look, as it's a long way to go here, and we just need to keep working hard and keep trusting ourselves. And look, thank God it paid off then. When you did miss the last one, was it? Do you know, a big ambition for you personally to... You, you mentioned in your interview after the match, you know, this was the All-Ireland for you. Like, was it a big ambition to get... to win that Joe McDonough title for you? Ah, yeah, like, it definitely was. Um, look, I, 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 I absolutely love hurling for Carlo. I've been hurling with him for a long time now, and obviously I, I took a, I took the decision to go travelling for that summer, and look, it was a brilliant summer. Like, well, obviously, of course, of course, I'd love to be in part of it with the boys, but, um, you know, I was... Um, very very hungry to, to to get a Joe McDonough medal and and um you know and get the get get Carlo another Joe McDonough medal as well or title I should say so 
so for the county of Carlow to have two joint tunnels and, and you know, most a lot of that group now have two titles, like it's brilliant for them and and as I said, it's the was our final like and it means absolutely the world to us like and we're just having said that absolutely over the moon, like we probably won't really kick in for another few days, chances you but um just the scenes the last few days is just and the just the reaction we got is incredible, like and just a great feeling. So what was it like when you got back to Carlo um Saturday night? Ah, sure, it was brilliant. Um, we, 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 um, in fairness, we were late back, sure, we, with extra time and all, we, we, we got food in the Crow Park, and sure, we had another pint or two there as well, so, um, we got back, sure, we probably went back to the, on the trailer till, like, quarter to 11, maybe, or half 10, like, so it was late enough, and in fairness, to the crowds, like, all the kids were there, and it was packed, and we got a, we got a Gara escort from Talbot Hotel there into, into the town, so, it was just brilliant, like, because, obviously, something that doesn't happen every day for us, or every year, like, so, just to experience that, like it was, it was amazing, and you know, it's just, it's just pictures, like the pictures of it, like you'll, you'll be looking at, looking back on those photos, like in years and years to come, like, and it's just great. Because it, it's a, as you mentioned yourself, like it's a phenomenal achievement, um, for Carlo. Just looking at the team, um, eleven of the starting team were for, for from two clubs, yourselves, uh, Saint Mullins and Mount Leinster Rangers, um, and you know, obviously a few other clubs as well, but. Like between yourselves, Mount Leinster Rangers, you've contested so many county finals, probably hopping off each other in in county finals. Um, like, how how does that dynamic work to to bring a team together when when you're competing for the the next half of the year? Yeah, look, I suppose it's I suppose it's fairly um noted like regarding the the, the clubs uh, in power like and and the pick we have, but uh, look, I suppose that. The, the talent is that is there anyway, and people can see that anyway. From 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 if they didn't know it, it's just how you know it now after watching the game Saturday. That's a serious um ability and hurlers down down this way. But um, look, that's look, we're we're absolute. We're, we all get along fierce well. We're the best of friends, like and look, we'll we'll, we'll we've another few weeks now, county, and we'll go back to the club and we'll go out have go out hammer and tongues again, like but that'll be it. Like we'll shake hands and we'll 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 like we absolutely love playing together, like and it's great. Getting to play with them lads like you know the county and um and other clubs as well like Ballinkill and Weishill, um Bangnestown and sure there's a chap from Bourne Rangers and they breed on it as well like but they're coming clubs like you know so more players now again next year and pushing on to, to get into the start 15 again and drive it on again definitely yeah um just taking you back to the to the match uh, Saturday it was a roasting hot day and for the game to go to extra time. Um, I'd say you were all feeling it in the legs. Yeah, surely were. Uh, it was a savage day. Like it was great. Like great weather. Like sure, the pitch was immaculate and it was brilliant. Um, heavy going, but you look. That's 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 part and parcel. That's why you prepare and you look after yourself. You know, during the week and you you do your recovery and you you make sure you're fueled up and we need to go. And look, in fairness, like whatever you want there in the dressing room, regards water, electrolytes, caffeine gels. You know. It's there to get over the line, like, and look, it's 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 just whatever it was, 100 minutes or whatever, like, in 100 minutes of, you know, we'll, we'll absolutely look back on it with, with, with savage pleasure, like, and, you know, no, no, we'll, we'll go through that absolute for, for for that feeling again, like, you know, so it's great, and look, thankfully we got, we, we came out on the right side of it. One of the key moments was your penalty uh, in the first half. It's, it's a pressurised thing, hitting a penalty. You're obviously, you're used to it hitting freeze, pressurised freeze and so on. Um, I'm sure you've seen Dermot Burns scored a, a great penalty against um, 
against Cork yesterday. But uh, how 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 do you find the the nerve stepping up to a penalty like that, or are you you're, are you used to it? Ah, uh, sure. Look, it's it's crazy. Let's look. It's, it's sure. She's a little bit nervous, sorry, but she just. You just uh, you just look you, you stick to the routine and and the practice and you just try you back yourself like um uh, last year last time we was in Cork Park in the Leinster Club same final I actually drove on wide up in the hillside so okay. it was it, it didn't go well for me that day up at the open Cork Park uh, regarding the game in general for me so um I suppose when we got the penalty maybe a little bit creeped into my head about that but look you, you just blank it out and look you just back yourself and. Again, look, I, I took one there against the uh, leash there as well, so I kind of just stuck to that kind of same routine, the same side, and keeper in fairness, he went, to say, he went that side, but thankfully I, I struck Look, just pure relief to see you going in. Like, like as a free taker, a penalty taker, is it is it relentless practice that you, you have to put in to, to have the confidence on those big days? Yeah, of like, course, yeah, you have to, look, you have to do the practice, like, you know, you have to be, you have to be going to train early and get up during the week and you know your routine and 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 just again just start having the confidence and developing yourself like you know if you have any doubt at all like you're in trouble straight away like you know so I've taken them long enough and I've had plenty of bad days on them too and I've plenty of good days on them and during the Saturday was it was a good day uh, regards on freeze bar the last one but Luckily, Sledge, uh, our Stamer Burnett in the back uh, put the equaliser over there and in the extra time, so he got, he got me out of jail there. So, um, look, it was a decent day on it, but uh, look, I, I, I love taking him, I love that pressure, so I don't mind at all. Um, just uh, talk to me about Tom Mullally. So, he's been with you for three years now, and he's done well with Nace. He did brilliant with um, Mount Leinster Rangers back in the day, getting them to an All Ireland club final. Um, just uh, seems to really kind of have have got on well with you as as Carlo Hurler. Seemed to be a, a good match, like. Yeah, I know he's very good, like, and and parents they're all very good. Um, you know, they they really look into things, like you know, their attention to detail is is, is brilliant, and you know, they, they leave no stone on turn regards preparation, like, and they'll have everything down to a T regarding the venue or or where we're going to play, like, and. You know, to make sure that we're comfortable as we can when we're going up there like that. Lots of breeze and stuff. And, um, um, no, he's brilliant. Look, he knows Carl Hurland too, as he said, with Rowan's Rangers and, and being around the club scene there. Like, so he was a good fit when Bonner left. Um, obviously, he didn't go... Duck, obviously, we were disappointed in the first two years because every year we, we have goals of, of getting to league finals and joint on the finals and it just didn't happen. But um, we stuck at it and... Look, it's great now that we, we we got over the line yesterday, and um, stuck is brilliant. It's a CV is it's a CV is, it's a CV is brilliant. Like so, it's just another add to it now. So, yeah, he's 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 a very very uh, top quality manager now, and he's one of the best I, I I've ever worked with. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the fact that when you are the last two years you didn't win, but you stuck by him, it shows the do you know that you seen he, he had the the right ambitions for for the team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and look, we 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 know that you know that, that that these lads can get us to where we want to go. Like, and he know he knows too that the players are here in Carlow as well. Like to to achieve what we want to achieve. Like, so when you have that, I suppose those two things coming together and and everyone on the same kind of you know going for the same kind of tunnel vision and you know it's 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 very doable then. Like, and look, probably took took two years to get to where we wanted to get, but. 
we got there and sometimes it, it does that like but I said to you the John McDonough is so hard to win anyway in general like so do you want know, to say that we, we, we went on beating because we were actually tipped for relegation at the start of the year, which which I suppose we use that to our motivation too, to even work harder. So just delighted now to, to come up on top. Yeah, so it's Dublin next. And even Tom, in his um, his interview after the game, he mentioned that, you know, we, we'll enjoy this week because you have three weeks um, before that before that game. So uh, it's it's good to see even the, the manager is, is allowing you to, to loosen up a bit this week. Yeah, like it looks, it's great, brilliant, uh, brilliant opportunity you now against Dublin, and and that's what it's about, like too, like you know, in three weeks time, it's it's a nice break because in previous years gone, it's it's just been the following week after, like, I'm sure, in fairness, you'd be in no kind of shape or form to be the following week, you know, it seems a bit of time now to just kind of jump up and just relax for a few days and then get back at it at the end of the week and train hard again, and and look, that's going to be another great day in Carlo and probably a, a big crowd at it and. Um, look, we were very much looking forward to that now and once we, we get off the pitch now at the end of the week we'll be trying very hard for that Yeah, great stuff Thanks Marty I've uh, taken up enough of your time so uh, enjoy the celebrations and best of luck uh, in the next the next match Thanks very much mate. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.